It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. With you until 11 o'clock today, Mr. Tate alongside. How you doing there, young man? Doing good. Ready to roll this morning. Several things to talk about. The phone lines are open, 356-9397. Baseball action uh, yesterday and last night, if you missed it. Uh, Cincinnati beat St. Louis 4-2 at Bush Stadium. And the White Sox won their sixth straight game hitting six home runs at Wrigley Field to beat the Cubs 10-1. to You may have to jump on the White Sox bandwagon. 24 homers in seven games. <laughs> and six yesterday. Man, and you know what? They're not cheap homers either. They're way out of there. <laughs> they're looking good. There's no outfielder jumping over the fence trying to catch those. They're, they're 40 feet over in some of them. Outfielders aren't moving much on That's some right. of those wow. bombs. But those are your ball scores there involving local teams, the Reds over the Cardinals, the Sox over the Cubs. Uh, Those same matchups coming up later on this evening in Major League Baseball. Some news yesterday. Some parents uh, went to Chicago to the um, headquarters of the Big Ten Conference and had a little, I don't know what you call it, demonstration, protest, whatever, gathering outside the building. I think all three of those are good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they, it, they, it, it was kind of underwhelming, wasn't it? It wasn't. Uh, well, that's right. I, I think, first of all, I mean, in order, if you're from a distance, you uh, you either have to go the previous day or you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to be there by eight and you know, be out and, and organized. And so they didn't have many people there, about 25 or 26 people, parents. And they, I guess they had more reporters and more TV people there than they had that. They had over 30 uh, TV and, and radio and, and newspaper people. But it, uh, I think it makes it – they made their point. Uh, they weren't going to be recognized by the, by the commissioner, and I guess they understood that. It's just uh, – it's, it's where we are. It, there's so much that you can't explain. Just as we were talking before the show, you, you go to – once you go to Indiana and Notre Dame's playing and Purdue and – and uh, and Purdue and, and uh, Indiana aren't playing, and yet the high schools are playing, and the high schools have less uh, less good medical protocol, right? Yeah. Than than uh, than the colleges do. And that that's a, that's a hard that's a that's a bad part. Look at Ohio State. Listen, man, they're playing high school. They're playing Pop Warner football in Ohio State. The the pros are playing. The high schools are playing. Everybody's playing except Ohio State. Now, I shouldn't say everybody. I know the Mac schools and others, but Ohio State's not playing. And who and who has better protocols than Ohio State? Nobody. And who's a bigger draw in the state of Ohio than Ohio State? Not the Browns, not the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, it's always been the Buckeyes, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, they're playing Little League football. They're playing high school football, pro football, but not uh, 
not Big Ten football. And this really hurts a lot of people. 51 people got furloughed at Nebraska. Iowa drops four sports. Oh, that's, yeah. And, you know, that's, that affected 64 athletes who have parts of 33 scholarships. So that's a lot of people hurt. Iowa dropped to men's gymnastics, men's and women's swimming and diving, and men's tennis. You know that's the 16th men's tennis team to drop? And these are permanent. We're not talking about just this right, year. Right. These are 16 men's tennis teams that have been dropped this, this year in the, just the last few months. I wonder what, if there was any thought of just suspending them for a season and then well you would think so you know there might be some kind of a movement uh, two years from now to bring it back when you start getting the tv money back yeah when you when you're making a profit but right now they're they're losing so much money i was interested you know there was so much talk about illinois hockey and a lot of people really excited and seemed like they had all the you know all the people in line and ready to do it and i was just reading yesterday about michigan state hockey they lose a million dollars a year on hockey some people think you can make a profit on hockey. Maybe Illinois could, but it's not likely. Although you have Chicago and you have a lot of hockey players up there, I mean, the sport would have some support. Maybe you'd have some donations, that sort of thing, that would help uh, bring it along. But they, um, they're losing money on hockey in Michigan State. Well, maybe they have, as you mentioned, donations. Maybe they have a key hockey donor that yep. it doesn't matter if they lose That's it. Right. He, he keeps it going or they keep it going, however. But, uh, yeah, it's it's different every week. There's, there's so, some you, pe- so you tell me they're playing golf in the state, high school golf. We uh-huh. see St. Thomas Moore just won a thing, and Central and Centennial had their match. Yeah, there was a, there was a match down in Savoy yesterday, too. Yeah, and, and yet the University of Illinois can't, work out on their own practice facility, <laughs> which would be the safest place they could possibly be. I don't know. It's, it's nuts. The only good thing about that, and it's not a good thing, but kind of a, a, a round-the-back uh, benefit, Mike Small gets to play more than he normally does <laughs> this time of year. He's playing. Uh, he won the men's uh, Illinois Senior PGA uh, Championship again, mm-hmm. and he's playing in the uh, Illinois PGA uh, coming up as well next week, so he's able to get uh, his game going a little bit. But it's it's hard to figure. There are some people that still think that some Big Ten teams are going to play some football in the fall. I'm not one of them, but oh no, there's no chance. No, I, I don't. Th- I think you're right, but there are some people still writing and and blogging that it might happen. And if it's going to happen, somebody has to say something soon. But I don't think that's going to happen. And and one of the next questions is, what about college basketball? What you know? Well, we may know something about that sooner than you think. Here's our uh, guest lineup. Again, uh, we're welcoming your calls all show long. 356-9397 is the number if you'd like to jump in. Coming up after our first break, uh, we'll bring uh, Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, U of I professor in computer science, back to the show. He was with us on the 4th of July, and uh, we'll talk to him about how things have changed and what his data is showing since then. At uh, 9.30-ish, David Jones, who covers Penn State and has covered uh, Penn State football and basketball for a long time for Penn Live, uh, Harrisburg News. He'll join us at 9.30. Will Leach, scheduled at 10 o'clock. Let's go to the phones here before we take our first break and say good morning to Alan. What's up, Alan? 
Morning, Joe. Uh, this might be the last time I get to talk to you guys on Saturday for a while. I've got a baseball fall league for the next five weeks, unless it rings. But, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go on, what kind of a baseball fall league do you have? Oh, it's 11-year-old, under 11 and under. Since, since I didn't get much of a summer, <clears throat> they decided to have a fall league down there, and there's about uh, six or seven teams. It's hey, not, it's not aren't aren't they worried uh, about the virus? Nope. Okay. We didn't realize you were well, under man. 11. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. I've learned a lot from the past. I can't even remember that far back. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, football recruiting picked up somewhat. Uh, is it still continuing, or how is that going? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, we're way down the list of you know, in terms of the quality of the players that they're bringing in in the freshman class next, you're talking about the the class that we're going to bring in next fall, right? Right, right, and, and, right. And it's a it's a very average class. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, they they're way behind. They caught up, but they're all three star guys. And I, I've told you a thousand times, I can't judge three star. You you might be real close to a two star. You might be real close to a four star. The the vast majority of players are three stars. And the vast majority of players that Illinois gets are not people that would have that have offers from other major major universities. Now some do, but I'm just saying it's it's not a great class. Do you get the feeling? Do you get the feeling that Levy seems to be leaning more towards uh, yes transfers <laughs> yes. and walk-ons like yes. that? Or you got 13 like transfers that. on this team right now, 13, and, and they're going to play. A lot of them are going to play. Well, I think that I think he's more interested right now in doing that because uh, next question I have is: uh, Are they going to give an extra year eligibility even if they play in the spring? Yes, there's talk of that. Yes, NCA passed that. Yes, they're all going to have so an extra year. So everybody, you... everybody's got five years if they want it. If you're bringing in a freshman, oh. they can have two freshman years. You're going to have two okay, freshman classes. You could have. That's what I'm getting at because yeah. I wonder how many of the seniors are going to come back next year. Next year, because when I look at it, things have been normal. We were going to be basically rebuilding again, no doubt about it. Next and year, you're talking, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Everything, year. everything that we've thought and everything that we've analyzed over the future has now been, you know, is now uncertain because we don't, as you point out, they. Some of these seniors could come back and go to graduate school and play football again. Well, that might be a bit of a lucky break for Illinois, in my opinion, if a lot of them do come back, because that'll stabilize our team a little bit. Because when I saw it, we were going to be just like Lovey's first year next year. Well, and I was wondering if you guys thought the same. Yeah, except there's only one other thing. I don't even know if we'd be playing next year. We don't know anything. We don't know for sure. This, we might have a second wave that's worse than the first. You just don't know. We don't know anything. Every you just got to go day that's by true. day and try to trying to plan is just hopeless. But somewhere along the line, uh, Lauren, Steve, uh, we're going to have to bore our way through as a country somehow, some way, because uh, you, you can't keep letting this shut shut everything down. It just won't work. Hey, Alan, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Good luck on your uh, baseball endeavors. Coming up in the weeks, let's uh, get another call in real quick in Bob in Urbana. Hey, Bob. 
Hi, thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> um, I, there's going to be a ceremony this morning in Atwood, my hometown, uh, and Kent Brown, I think, has been helping with this. But we actually had a superstar in Atwood in the 19, early 1900s by the name of Tug Wilson, Kenneth Tug Wilson. And I just wanted to mention some of the dates of what he did in his lifetime. He was born in 1896, graduated from Atwood High School in 1914, and that's just 30, 32 miles here from Champaign-Urbana. He was on the captain of the 1920 basketball team at the University of Illinois. He helped Illinois to Big Ten titles, both in conference indoor and outdoor track meets, while qualifying for the 1920 U.S. Olympic team. He qualified for the U.S. championships and threw javelin and, uh, let's see, discus in the 1920 Antwerp Games, finishing 10th in the discus. In 1948, he was the chairman of the United States Track and Field Committee for, from 48 53 to 57 and 61. He served as athletic director at Drake University from 22 to 25. He served as Northwestern athletic director from 25 to 45 and Big Ten commissioner from 1945 to 61. And he was the one that instituted the Rose Bowl game with the Pac-12, with Illinois, or the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and then he served as the NCAA uh, Secretary-Treasurer from 53 to 65 and as President of the U.S. Olympic Committee and then as the uh, Commissioner of the Big Ten for uh, several years. And he was just a young man who made it on his own, and he was a superstar from Atwood. So I just wanted to put that up yep. in we, there. Well, I, a, I remember Tug Wilson really well. He's, he's a great one. Yeah. And uh, he certainly so does, they're gonna have he a, deserves to be recognized. Thanks yes, for calling us. Oh, thank you. Yep. Thanks for taking my call. Bye-bye. Yep. Appreciate it, Bob. It is a 914 Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, who was on with us on uh, July the 4th, actually, on Saturday, July the 4th, is with us. Good morning, uh, Dr. Jacobson. How are you? Good morning, uh, Steve. Good morning, Lauren. I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. We're hanging in there as best we can, and uh, we, I kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about how things have changed and in, in your data uh, in the compiling of your data from that uh, July 4th time to now. And uh, do you think, uh, I guess you can give a general thought on that, but do you think maybe the, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, pulled the trigger a little bit too quickly on football? What are your thoughts? Well, many people are trying to come up with a rational explanation to what I believe was an irrational decision. Uh, I've tried to look at the data from many different angles, and no matter how I cut it, I cannot explain the rationale in the decision made in canceling, in particular, the Big Ten as well as the Pac-12. So it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, and I'm looking at all the data I believe that they're looking at as well. So it's not that I'm, I'm finding things that they don't have. They, ha- they may have access to even more things than I have. I just can't see it. Do you think that the SEC and the other conferences that are still on schedule to play, do you think they will eventually play this fall? I believe that all the other power conferences who are scheduled to play and any others, uh, they are going to begin playing. And this is a very fluid situation. It's not something you say we're going to start and then we're going to finish exactly as planned 
There may be some games that will have to be delayed, possibly postponed, possibly even canceled. Uh, that's just part of the, the situation that we're in right now. But I believe that everybody's going to start uh, who is planning to start. Because once again, uh, I try and take away what is the, uh, the media hype and all the discussion and just look at what the data is trying to tell us. You know, I, I've done some analyses more recently just to get a sense of what it's going to take to get through a season. And let's just talk about the Big Ten. Suppose the Big Ten was playing. Uh, in essence, as long as the overall infection rate among the athletes is going to be below 14%, uh, there's just not going to be any problems. Uh, it's just, this is what the, the data is informing us. Uh, I also looked even at myocarditis, which there's such a, a sparsity of data, but I had to make some assumptions. And the best that I could estimate, and this is the, this seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of the Big Ten, the Pac-12 decision. In the Big Ten, we may see around four athletes among all of the football players, four up per team, that's total, who may be affected by this. That doesn't mean they're going to die. It just means that they may be diagnosed with this and they would be required to not play this year. So we've now sacrificed an entire season potentially for on the order of four cases. Now, if you can provide an explanation for that that makes sense, that would be wonderful. I cannot see it. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you what I think is their explanation, and that is the one thing that you, you, you have data, but there are unknowns and uncertainties about this, and I think they decided that the risk was too great. At the same time, the same information of unknowns and uncertainties was being weighed by the SEC, for example, and they decided to go go forward and, and, and gamble and, and take the risk. I mean, it, it, I think there's a risk involved, and I think this group, in, in particular the Big Ten, just didn't want to take the risk. Does that make sense to you? I mean, th 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 there's a lot of this that is absolutely uncertain. I mean, we don't even know. You know, we just looked up yesterday, and Notre Dame had 130-some infections or that they found I mean, positive at least not football but the whole the school and they, and so they shut down practice and and we, we've seen that in several places where they've uh, gone gone decided to go uh, strictly to online classes because of the uh, outbreaks in school now the thing that offsets that for me is and you can comment on this that the the, the football players are safer than the general population at the school Therefore, it would seem to me that you'd want to take advantage of the fact that they are safer. Well, you make a great point, Lauren, because the, the team bubbles for the sports is much better than the typical student on campus. Now, we saw University of North Carolina shut down very quickly when they had 130 cases or so. And North Carolina State pulled the plug. Notre Dame pulled the plug. Michigan State pulled the plug even before they started classes. So... Risk is something that is not necessarily something that we should be scared of. It's something that we should deal with and manage. And when there are unknowns, the natural tendency is to assume the worst case. If you, for example, if you want to avoid risk completely, you just, you know, hunker down in your home and you never go out. Because every time you go out, you get into your car, you do anything, there is risk associated with it. And if we don't understand the risk, we assume the worst case. The decision to cancel 
an entire season, and it's more than just football. We're talking about women's volleyball, women's soccer in the Big Ten, cross country. I've actually done some analysis on these sports as well. And one of the things I found, and let's use women's volleyball, uh, women tend to have a much uh, better response if they're infected than men. They don't seem to have as bad outcomes. So what would it take for us to see in women's volleyball in the United States, in college women's volleyball, for us to see a death? What kind of infection rate? And for women's volleyball, you'd have to have an infection rate across all of the teams of 66%. Well, mm. That's, that's not going to happen. Women's volleyball is one of the safest sports. The only one that I've found that is safer is women's golf, where you have to have an infection rate of 89% to realize the high likelihood of one death. Um, and I've done this for men's golf. It's 38%. Uh, women's basketball, 48%. Men's basketball, that's a big one everyone's talking about right now. You know, I've had a number of people call me about this. It's 26%. And right now, we're looking at, on our campus here at the University of Illinois, uh, single digits. Uh, and we're going to have a few hundred cases in the next several days because you bring people back from areas where you have high infections. This is just normal. But the player bubbles provide a certain amount of protection. So using all of this information, I cannot see how the decision was made where you have so many different diverse sports being affected. Football is the riskiest one I found among all of them for a variety of reasons. Uh, but when you look at the fact that they've now thrown the baby out with the bathwater, you now are in a situation that I'm, I'm of the belief they wish they didn't make that decision and they don't know how to undo it because it's very hard to. And the consequences of making the decision for fall sports is going to be harder for them to not make that decision for the winter and the spring sports. And that's the concern now. And this is, this is, this is not why these students came to the University of Illinois, to Michigan, to Michigan State, to all the Big Ten schools and Pac-12 schools. They came to play and compete. And now what we've done is changed the landscape and challenged the entire student-athlete model. Another uh, few minutes with Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, U of I professor, computer science. Phone line is open, 356-9397. We do have a caller from Madison, Wisconsin. David, uh, you're on the air with uh, Dr. Jacobson. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Lauren and Steve. I just wanted to say I've always enjoyed your show for many years. Just a comment for Dr. Jacobson. Um, I'm a heart surgeon, and I just find that it's, you need to be very cautious when you start talking about myocarditis. I'm not sure what your medical training and background is, but myocarditis is a very serious condition. It can lead to arrhythmias that can lead to sudden cardiac death and also can learn, lead to long-term heart failure requiring heart transplantation. So to just say, well, there are going to be four student-athletes that develop this and they'll be able to play next year, that's something that nobody can predict. And given that uh, it's such a serious potential problem and we don't yet know how myocarditis related to SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 will progress over time, I think it's a relatively cavalier attitude to just use a modeling approach and say that these kids will all just be okay in the future because we don't know that right now. 
I think you, you hit it right on the head when you say nobody can predict. And as soon as you've got uncertainty and un, so, uh, an unknown in the future, uh, nobody knows how to act. Nobody knows how to respond. I mean, I, I think that the, that the presidents, I'm going to let you, uh, uh, J, uh, Sheldon, I'll let you back in here in a second, but I just think the presidents felt like they had to, they, they were afraid to take the risk. Your thoughts? Well, 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 thank you for that question, and it's a very good one, a very good point. Now, when I talk about an expected number of being four cases, I'm not saying that those four cases are going to be playing next year. I'm simply saying they would not play this year. What happens in the future, I don't know. The other question is, is would these people, if they were not playing football, still get infected, still be subject to the same risk associated with the cardiac condition we're talking about? And the answer is which I've come up with, is it still exists. In fact, being in the bubble may reduce their risk of getting it. So those four players may grow to six students who would be getting it. And this has lifelong implications. Everything said is exactly correct. The point I'm trying to make is, will football exacerbate the risk or will it attenuate it? And everything that I see, based on the data in the population risk, suggests that you're still going to have this happening with these students, whether they play or not, which means why would playing be better or worse? And everything I see suggests that there's actually some reduction in risk by playing football because of the bubbles. Well, there may be reduction in risk in terms of some things, but a, a person that's doing vigorous exercise with myocarditis, which may not have been detected, is at risk for arrhythmias and sudden cardiac death. So that's where I think that argument doesn't hold water well every single student athlete who tests positive even if they have fully recovered has to go through rigorous testing through blood tests ekgs to assess it and if there is any indication that there is the possibility of any kind of cardiac issues they don't play that's that's a given we're not here to roll dice with the lives of young men and women obviously all i'm telling you is based on the information that we all have this is what the data says now you may not like that analysis but it's what the data speaks no it's not that i don't like the analysis i don't like the absence of medical opinion because unless you've taken care of patients with heart failure for people to just glibly talk about myocarditis as if it's something that comes and goes, it can have lifelong implications. And uh, it, it, it can't just be discounted with a modeling approach. Once again, the best way to prevent myocarditis among student athletes is to make sure they do not get infected. And anything that could be done to reduce infection rates is the key. And this is not only true for the student athletes, it's true, true for the students on campus. Everybody is subject to this. So everything you're saying is absolutely correct. It's the question of looking at the population risk and the decision. And once again, you know, this is what the data says, and I understand your point of view. I'm also saying that a decision has to be made based on this risk. Well, it was interesting, well, uh, Doctor, uh, that the doctor for the ACC who was from Duke, I'm sorry I've forgotten his name now, stated that he had, he had, he had a whole different approach to the myocarditis than the, than the doctor who represented the big, the, than the medical people who represented the Big Ten. In other words, he didn't, Evidently, they didn't think it was as serious as the people from the Big Ten. Why would you have such divergent uh, opinions about something so serious? 
Well, when you're in a situation like this, which is, myocarditis is considered a rare condition, and I have read different people's opinions. You know, the, the caller gave an opinion. I, there, was a, there was a cardiologist at Mayo who had a wonderful discussion on the issue, and it would be different than what we just heard. Once again, there is a diversity of perspectives on the condition, and part of it that drives that is anytime you have a situation that is rare, there isn't going to be as much data to inform the understanding. That's why I have to make some very extreme assumptions to be able to come up with my assessments when it comes to myocarditis. When it comes to population risk for the entire you know, college football group or basketball, there's a lot of good data in terms of fatality risk. Those I'm much more confident of. Point being is that there's going to be risk and there are procedures to mitigate it. Can't eliminate it completely, but you can mitigate it. But I do David, believe. Excuse me, David, do you have anything further on this? No, I would just say it applies obviously much more generally to the entire college student population, not just uh, football or other athletics. And I think that's why you're going to eventually see very few colleges with in person classes. And that gets to the point of a football team, regardless of your testing, they're a close group of people, many hundred, a hundred people plus many coaches, and having that group of people together does expose them to more risk. There's no doubt about that. I don't care how much you're testing them. Well, now, wait, now hang, hang on a minute. I don't know if you're right about that because uh, we're seeing almost, we're seeing very few, they're practicing right now. If they're not practicing today, they'll be practicing in a couple of days. I mean, they were practicing before. They practice hard inside that bubble. They were they were they had it down to practically nothing in terms of uh, positives, and and the positives on campus, you know, are going to be humongous. They're, they're, every time every time the students arrive, there's a there's a tremendous now there's a lot more students than, than just a hundred, but but I, I, I the people from Ohio State said they didn't have a single uh, positive there, you know, in their right, football. Their classes haven't started yet either. So once you get a higher load of virus on the campus, everyone's at risk, football players, coaches, faculty, staff, of course. So we haven't even begun to see the full cycle of what's going on on these campuses yet. And I would just be very cautious about that. That's my point. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But I will also tell you that the football players that I know about, the veterans, they're taking all online classes. They're not even going on campus. I mean, they're they're staying together. They're not now (laughs) – you may later we may later find out that they did mix in and you know maybe this guy's got a girlfriend here and maybe they they met somebody at a bar i don't i'm not saying that won't happen but i will tell you that lovey smith is all over that i mean he is he's watching these players so carefully and they're not mixing with the with the uh, campus crowd they're not going to classes on on campus i mean i the ones yeah, i know I, aren't yeah i certainly hope everything works out i just um, having taken care of many sick patients over the years in my practice, um, this is nothing to uh, overlook. I know people think they're being cautious, but it, you have to really ask yourself, is it worth putting all of the students at risk by having them on campuses right now? We've seen what's happened at other campuses with parties. That's just the nature of young people. There's nothing that wouldn't be expected about that. And I think everybody's at risk, not just football players. And that's that's my point. But I appreciate you listening to me. Thank hey, thanks, David. Hey, David, it. yeah, we appreciate the call. Thanks for listening up in uh, Madison. Uh, Dr. Jacobson, real quickly, you need to move along here, but real quickly, your thoughts on four, five, six months from now, are we likely to see maybe a spring or a winter, I guess it would be, 
football schedule, and then what are your thoughts about college basketball? I think once college football has been canceled, it's going to be hard to resurrect it in the spring. I just don't see that happening. And the concern with basketball is that once you've canceled football, it begins a snowball effect of cancellation because you're looking at these this risk. Unfortunately, college uh, football is the riskiest based on my analysis. Everything else is kind of smoother sailing from there. Not completely smooth, but smoother sailing. And then you get at Illinois. We have a great men's golf team. And golf is the easiest one to mitigate risk. We see it with the PGA. We see it with the U.S. Amateur, the Western Amateur. Uh, for us to cancel those kinds of sports, men's and women's golf, it just makes no sense. Uh, there's unintended consequences of canceling football, and we're going to start seeing them. Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, we appreciate your time, and uh, I'm guessing maybe we'll call you again one of these <laughs> days in a month or so and see how things stand then. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sheldon. Thank you very much. It is 9.33 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. will continue after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, along with Lauren Tate, we're with you until 11 o'clock. And the phone line open, 356-9397. If you would like to join us, our next guest from the state of Pennsylvania, PennLive.com, David Jones, who we've had on the show uh, a few times in the past, but not in the last few months or so. The last time we talked to you, David, we were kind of hoping by this time we'd be ready to start talking some football games. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, uh, certainly in the Big Ten, but uh, how are you getting along these days? Hand to mouth, Steve. Hand to mouth. <laughs> I talked to Lauren a couple days ago, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever faced a challenge of, of, of what to write every day like this. You know, it's, it's very sad. I mean, it's, it's the same for us as it is for fans, except in a different way. It's our livelihood. It's not just fun; it's fun and our livelihood. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I still got work. I still got a job, so I'm not complaining. What are your thoughts on the way that the Big Ten handled uh, its decision that it made a week or so ago about uh, not playing this fall? Do you think maybe they they pulled the trigger a little prematurely or what? Yeah, I thought it was unnecessarily hasty. It was a little early, and it wasn't explained. There, was no, there seemed like there was no communication either with the fans or with the ADs and coaches in the league, it didn't didn't really make any sense to me, especially the television uh, interview with Dave Rudson. Dave was doing a great job trying to ask Kevin Warren the questions that needed to be asked, and basically Warren just wouldn't answer them. Which, you know, it was almost like I don't have to answer that. Well, yeah, I think you do. You got to sell this decision. It's part of communication. It's part of leadership. You know, communication is the biggest part of leadership to me. Uh, both communication with your people under you and the people out there who buy the product. And he, he didn't either. I just thought he completely flunked his first uh, major decision on the job. And, and it kind of reminded me of 1989 when, and, and early 1990 when Penn State came into the Big Ten. And there was a reason they fast-tracked that without communicating to any of the ADs or coaches because they didn't think it would fly if they ran it past them. And, 
it almost didn't anyway. It was a vote of seven to three and very close to six to four. If it had been six to four, if uh, Arnold Weber from Northwestern hadn't finally fallen to, into the yay category, Penn State would be in the in the ACC right now. Um, it reminded me of that only in the fact that they didn't communicate with very apparently anybody. They just kind of did it unilaterally. Now, what whether the president essentially decided that or Warren ran the conversation and ran the narrative, as has been reported, I don't know. But you have to sell the decision. You don't have to make it that early. Just don't. They could have kicked the, kicked the can down the road a couple of weeks. Uh, if you're going to do this, you better be ready to tell people why. So they didn't either, and I don't see any reason for it. David Jones, what uh, what did what was the stance of the hierarchy at Penn State of the president there? Uh, how did Penn State vote? I I don't know that there was a vote. I think there a lot of people say there was a vote. Um. I've been told that the trustees were not happy at all. And um, Eric Barron was ready to go all, along with whatever. I think I think Penn State, being who they are, is more a little more compliant than people think. Uh, there, there was a report from a blogger in Columbus uh, a couple days afterward that I think was completely erroneous. Uh, Penn State wasn't going to go off with Ohio State and Nebraska and, and a bunch of other schools and start playing their own games. That was never about to happen. They're they're much more compliant with the Big Ten than, say, Nebraska, I think. And they're going to do whatever's whatever the majority wants to do. Uh, so I don't know that Eric Barron had one hard and fast position one way or the other. But I, I would guess he didn't have any problem going along with the consensus. I'll put it that way. Well, that sounds like it sounds to me like it was a consensus, although there have been statements that there was a vote and there have been statements that there was not a vote, that it was just obviously the, the uh, majority ruled and, and they, didn't need to, they didn't need to pin them down, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that, that Kevin Warren very much ran the narrative of the conversation, and he had his opinion. And um, okay, then that, I, I don't know that there actually was a vote. No, that brings me right to Delaney. Let's just say that Delaney stayed one more year and was involved in this. How would it, would it have turned out different, and how different? I think there would have been an attempt at consensus making with the other Power Fives that was more than this, and I also think that he would have had, I don't know how to gracefully put this, but he would, he would have made sure that everyone, there's, there's an expression called, was, was peeing down the same straw. And that's, that's what it would have been. You could disagree behind closed doors. You can yell and scream at each other behind closed doors. But once this decision became public, Delaney would have made sure that everyone was of the same voice, at least in public. It, it wouldn't have come out like this, which is what eventually happened with the Penn State decision in, in, in June of 1990. They announced that as unanimous. 
well, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. close. Well, that, that, that's that's, sure that's smart. That's you know, the way it was announced. <laughs> yeah, that's smart to do that publicly. Then you don't have the all the debate about it. Uh, and and that happens in many cases where. Once you see that your side is out of it, you just agree to make it unanimous to avoid controversy. Yeah, let, is, by the way, don't don't uh, don't leave that subject on, uh, on 1990 without uh, pointing out that Eikenberry swung the votes. Uh, the the president of the University of Illinois, formerly at Penn State, he swung the votes necessary to get this whole thing done. He and Delaney. Hell, he ran the whole program. <laughs> He ran the entire initiative. He used to be a vice vice president at uh, Penn State, and he was part and parcel of the entire process. So it was very much in, in his interest. And that De- it would have been. And Delaney was just a babe in arms day. then. Delaney. Yes, he was a rookie, just like Kevin Warren was, uh-huh. and I don't think he anticipated the blowback, uh, just like Kevin Warren didn't either. And they were both they're both learning in their rookie year. Uh, I know that Kevin Warren is very well liked around the Big Ten offices. He was very well respected with the Vikings. I just think this was a decision that where he was blind to the ramifications and thought because he was commissioner, well, everyone would just go along with the ultimate decision. Well, no, you you got to communicate with people. You got to make them feel a part of the decision, and even if it doesn't go their way. I mean, you got to do a, a little savvy. You got to do a, a little yelling and screaming, and then loving up people that aren't with you. You, you. you go to war with them if you have to, and then after that, you say, "Okay, we we had some disagreements, but we have to to make a unified front here. We have to." Well, how do the and, people uh, at at Penn there's State? There's no evidence he did any of that, Lauren. Yeah, back to the t- back to the current time now. What? How do the people of Penn State feel about the decision to be in the Big Ten? And is it overwhelmingly supportive of this whole idea of being in the Big Ten as opposed to the ACC? Yeah, I think that's worn off. I, I, if you'd asked me that question 10, 15 years ago, um, I think there was still residue of we don't belong in this league. We don't belong in this league geographically. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who have grown up with the Big Ten, who are 35, 40 years old fans, they don't know anything else now. They don't remember Penn State being an independent. And Penn State feels like a part of the Big Ten to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been great rivalries connected with Michigan and Ohio State. And I don't know that you could approximate those in the ACC. I think everyone realizes that. Geographically, though, would have been a hell of a fit, you know. And think of the ramifications of Penn State's in, in the ACC in 1990 instead of uh, uh, the Big Ten, which Gene Corrigan told me flat out would have happened. He would have made it his business to make that happen had Penn State been voted down. Well, you know, you don't have any of that Eastern block in the ACC now. You don't have Boston College or Syracuse. Certainly you don't have Pitt. They're not in there. You might not have had uh, the conference writing in the direction you did because the only reason the ACC went after Florida State is because Penn State went to the Big Ten. Certainly you wouldn't have Maryland or Rutgers in the Big Ten because there would have been no need for that. 
I mean, the, the ramifications are endless because that was really the beginning of conference ratings. Penn State to the, to the Big Ten was it. Yeah, that started everything, uh, it just, didn't it? Well, I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened. It would have fallen in a lot of different directions, that's all. Another couple of minutes with David Jones from PennLive.com. As far as the next time we see Big Ten football, when do you think it might be? Do you think it'll be in January, February, later in the spring, or maybe not till next fall? We'd better get a, uh, a vaccine, I think, or some sort of treatment that mitigates uh, symptoms. And from what I know from friends who are in, involved in epidemiology, I think we can. Um, I've been pursuing what would happen with a spring schedule since last April, you know, certainly since I talked to you guys last time, because I never thought fall was going to be viable without a vaccine. I still don't. I mean, I just think this is kicking the can down the road farther for the other leagues. And you'll know, they'll, they'll try to play, and I don't think they'll be able to complete a season. But um, I always believed they would just kind of cash in the kids who are going to be in the NFL who would commit. Because I think they would with a January to March season as much as they would for a March to May season. Don't you? Don't you think those guys will, will cash in? And they're not going to want to play January to March anyone any more than they want to play in bowl games now. I don't know right. about that. I think that that I think the goal. I mean, we're already seeing some guys pull out right now. I mean, four, five, six, seven players have pulled out, but I yeah. think that the that the Big Ten people think, I think they think, yeah, they that, think. that they if they started in January in these indoor facilities in Minneapolis and and uh, you know in St. Louis and Detroit and and that they can that they can get this eight games in and then. By March, and then they'd have plenty of time between then and the start of the next season. But I think that's their goal right now. I know know they're working toward that to try to get it started in January and just play indoors. I know that's their goal. I don't know that as many kids as they think who have NFL prospects will stick around. Um, I think it would be much easier if they played eight games in the real spring, March to May, and eight games next fall, and no more than that, and start the season a lot later next fall. And you could do that. That's kind of what Jeff Brom from Purdue mm-hmm. uh, had yeah. suggested, rather than, than this, you know, trying to play in January and playing in domes, and I don't know. What do we, what do we have college football for, Lauren? <laughs> I mean, as fans, well, it... are we really going to enjoy this with, Neutral site games and domes. I mean, that's got nothing to do with what makes it enjoyable. That's true, but if you if you can't have fans anyway, you might as well do it that way. I mean, and maybe, and maybe you can have fans in the domes. I don't know. I I I, I think they'd be very a small number, but I well, if you, you have a vaccine, you can do it in the spring and we can have fans. Well, that's that's my argument, and I don't know that if you don't have the vaccine, you can do it regardless. So if you're going to try this, make shorten shorten both seasons considerably, so kids don't get overtaxed. If you have 16 games in a calendar year, um, and they're at, they're at opposite ends of the year, I think that could work. But this plan with January, plan in January, 
I don't see how that works. You well, in order, to, in order to play in January, they'd have to make a decision pretty early that it's okay to play, <laughs> which they just decided it wasn't yeah. okay to play. And, and I don't know what's going to change in the next two months because this, this decision is going to have to come up pretty fast. If you're going to play in January, you've got to make a decision pretty far in advance. Yeah, and now, not only does it, does it lessen the time you have to make the decision, you're going to have to play all your games in neutral site locations. You're, you're marrying yourself to that. I mean, what makes college football what it is? It's the bands and fans and the difference between college football and professional sports. That's why it's enjoyable. I think people see this, see this product and see that it's going to come off as flat as Major League Baseball. And people are going to say, most people are going to say, well, why are we doing this? Why did we do this? This isn't what we know. They think they want football that badly. I don't know that they really do. Good stuff, David. Always appreciate your time. Have a good rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Thank you. you. David Jones from out in Pennsylvania, PennLive.com. Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk back with more. We've got an open line for you for a few minutes before the top of the hour. Feel free to join us after this. Moving up on 9.55, Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Lively first hour, uh, putting the wraps on the first hour. Second hour yet to come. The phone line is open, 356-9397, if you'd like to join us. You know, we were talking uh, with David Jones about a proposal, I don't even know if it's a proposal, but some talk about playing Big Ten football in domed stadiums January and February, and he raised a good point, I thought, about would that be viewed the same way you're viewing Major League Baseball now as kind of a sterile kind of situation, and it's kind of... It's sterile. It's different to watch. It really is. You know, the thing that throws me off so bad is that they just bring in one pitcher after another, like, okay, you mean a pitcher can't pitch five or six innings now anymore? I mean... I, it bugs me to I mean, just one pitcher after another they're throwing out there. And then Kuchel comes along and he pitches eight innings yesterday because he's just tossing it up there and letting him hit it. Well, what did Wainwright pitch the other night? He pitched seven after mm-hmm. a after a bad start. A bad start, where his team made two errors for him yeah. in the first inning. Let's go yeah. to the phones. Got a couple of calls in here. Let's go to Sarasota, Florida, where Dan is calling in from. Hey, Dan. Hi, Steve and Lauren. How are you? Good. How are you doing this morning? All right. I just I'm curious whether Chancellor Jones, if he attends Illinois football games. Well, I think he does, but I I, I mean I'm sure he does, but I don't know what his interest is in football. Frankly, I mean I I think that um, presidents and chancellors probably feel an obligation to be out there when you have so many donors. Uh, you know, they have their uh, their boxes and their suites and. And uh, I think that they may have other uh, main interests other than the game itself because they have so many people that, that uh, you know, that can, can provide income for uh, revenue for the university through, don- through donations. I was just, uh, was, was he the person that voted not to, to cancel the football season? Yeah, he he voted to to postpone the season. Yes. Okay. 
All right, that's uh, that's all I wanted to know. Okay, I Dan? think he, I think he was also the person the that also canceled the chief, correct? Oh, I don't think no, 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 no. That was Jones hasn't been here that long. No, he he wasn't okay. the, he wasn't the chancellor when the chief was. Uh, that's no. And you're going to ask me who the chancellor was, and I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember who the chancellor was that far back. But Well, regardless, the chief is gone. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. We appreciate the call. Let's go to Marty down in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Marty? Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's up with you? I like your uh, your doctor, Sheldon. He's he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, he's got the data. Pickup. Yeah, I, I like the way he goes about things. Um, Lauren, your question on pitchers, I had the same thing. Why can't they throw more? Uh, one reason is the guys that were already on the team were 17 days without throwing because well, they didn't let them do anything. Well, you, uh, you can. I mean, okay. I, I understand. The second reason is because they got 44 games in 36 days. And I think they're just trying to not let them throw too much and spread it around. I, I don't agree with it either. Well, I, I, I'm, I I'm not saying he isn't doing the right thing. I'm just, just saying I don't like it. You know. I yeah, mean, I don't like I mean, it either. It, it, and it takes away from the game for me. I mean, I just to, to, to see a different pitcher every inning, you just wonder which oh, yeah. one of these guys is going to break down, you know, yeah, and the, give up the home the run. The other day he pulled, uh, he pulled Cabrera, who blew people away in the sixth and only threw like 12 pitches or 13. And brought Miller in and lost him a game, and I'm like, why don't Cabrera should be able to throw two innings? He's been down at the the camp throwing. He wasn't on the original roster. There's no anyway, there's no difference between one and two innings. You can, yeah. I mean, it Not just me. isn't. I mean, there. If you can, if you can go, there's it, the thing that gets me is if you are effective, and you and you have a really good inning. Yeah. Stay in there. Let the guy stay exactly. in another inning. Why fi- try to find another guy that can't get the ball over the plate? I and that's pitched, why if you, I pitched many, I pitched many years ago, Lauren, and I know one thing: if I had an easy inning and pitched well, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. I could go back out for in, until I got in trouble a couple times. Anyway, oh, by the way, guys, the the uh, parents that showed up at the Big Ten office. I don't think Steve and Lauren, you can technically qualify that as a protest. Because according to the media today, a peaceful protest has to include lasers that could blind people, rocks, <laughs> frozen water bottles, commercial fireworks, Molotov cocktails, and a lot of cursing. And I didn't see any of that. Up well, maybe moment. you'd have seen it if Warren had come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's possible. Possible, but I didn't see him with those weapons ready. But, you know, you're right. It could have happened. Yeah. All I, right, Marty. I, uh, I hope they don't go to domes. I hope they wait and, and play on site. I think Brahms' idea is pretty interesting, actually. So, you guys, I know you got another guest coming up, so make it a great one. It's good listening to you today. Thanks. Yeah. We appreciate the call. 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number one is in the books. We'll be back with hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. 
Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're here until 11 o'clock, as Mr. Gene Honda said there in the intro. The phone line is open, 356-9397. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly, and we'd love to hear from you. We welcome into the program again Will Leach, who joins us just about every month to talk about things. And the more we talk about things... uh, changing the more they stay the same or something like that i don't even know how to put it these days will and and you're kind of in the same boat and in coming up with uh, stories to write and things to cover and uh, it's been interesting to say the least hasn't it uh, this 2020 year Uh, i will say though the last couple of months there have at least in fact been some sports happening so that has helped (laughs) helped somewhat certainly uh uh to be able to watch actual games it's a different experience than i think what perhaps a lot of us would have even suspected it would have been, but yeah, you know, it's a, it is a fascinating time in every single possible realm of life and uh, sports are obviously no different. As uh, most folks know who listen to the program, I uh, realized that uh, Will Leach is a U of I graduate now based down in Athens, Georgia in SEC country. And that conference is still on schedule to try to play football. Big 10 is not. Let's go to the big 10 decision of 10 days or so ago. Your thoughts on that? Uh, did they react maybe too soon on the, on it, or how did you view it when it came down? Uh, well, certainly when it came down, it was not surprising. To me, the surprising part was the fact that the SEC, ACC, and specifically the Big 12 didn't follow suit so quickly afterwards. And I think what them not, those three leagues not closing yet, and to be honest, I, I, I think that. I'm still, I'm still be pretty surprised if we see in the SEC football uh, this year. They're certainly going to try. Uh, I think what the, the Big Ten got caught up in was really a messaging problem. Uh, I think that doing it too early, maybe we can have that debate. Um, uh, but the, I think what they, they anticipated, uh, obviously incorrectly now that it comes down, is that this would be followed by all the other football leagues, all the other leagues following behind them, and it would be a cascade, and they would look like they were ahead of the game rather than too far ahead of the game. And I think, they're, I think it is difficult uh, to argue with their decision. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't want to see Big Ten football. I really wish we could be watching uh, Big Ten football, and I and I am sad and particularly sad for those players and a lot of those parents that are frustrated. I have a lot of empathy uh, for them. Like I have a lot of empathy for a lot of people that are going through stuff, but like the same, the the problems that caused the big 10 to think that they would not be able to go forward with this have not gotten better in the last, in the last week. It's not like situation, the circumstances changed in the last week and a half to where the big 10 was like, Oh wow. You know what? We could have played like their decisions, their decisions. uh, So much of this was based up with the same things that the sec uh, and the ACC and the big 12 are still facing. And frankly are facing in a much more uh, fervent way because their campuses are opening right now. And we're seeing outbreaks all over the campus. North Carolina has closed down their campus. Notre Dame's having their issues. Alabama had a massive uh, number of students test positive. So the idea that uh, the big 10, I think the Big Ten, it looks like the Big Ten did this too early because the SEC and the other two conferences have, haven't have done it yet. But I wonder if that'll change a little bit if what I think will happen, which is that the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12, I'm, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to pull this off. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough pull, but let me just say that what's happening on campus is not necessarily the same thing that's happening within the structure of the football program. Now, we're seeing this at Illinois. They're tested every single day. Every single day, the football players are tested. 
And they are being basically, uh, they're going to be taking their classes online uh, mostly. And they're just not going to be mixing in with that crowd. I mean, I don't see where, I, I don't see where the number of people that are infected on campus, which is going to force those schools to go online, how that affects football when they're all within a, a separate, uh, a, a separate structure. That's what I well, see. Well, I, I, I agree. And certainly in a perfect world, you could, I mean, like, Honestly, I agree with a lot of people that argue that as long as football is happening, these players are actually in a lot better position than if they're mingling with the uh, with the rest of the student population. Absolutely agree with that, and I think in a perfect world that that would be what we would do. The problem is, and I think this is what the Big Ten was reacting to, was if you do that, you have to then accept the fundamental notion that athletes are different than other students rather than student athletes, and when you do that then you're opening up a lot of questions that I don't think college football really wants to answer, or at least it's not prepared to answer right now. And I think that's really what's issue. I agree. I think that, like, and for the record, it is worth noting that what the University of Illinois is doing, not just in athletics, by the way, is the envy of a lot of colleges right now. <laughs> like, Illinois has a terrific thing set up that's been very well documented and reported on. I think if every school, let alone just the football program, had what Illinois had going on right now, I think a lot of these campuses would be in a lot better shape. And I know that my, my son is not old enough to go to college yet, but if uh, I, I would feel more comfortable sending him to the University of Illinois right now than I would, say, Alabama, for example. So I guess that would be true in an outside a pandemic environment anyway. But, <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that, um, you know, what is go- the difference? I think you can keep players safer. I, I, I don't think it's a matter of keeping players, not being able to keep players safe or get them, po- get them tested, though, to be, to be fair, also, I think a lot of schools that say in the Big Ten or the SEC are going to have more money for these tests than, say, some of the schools in the Sun Belt or some of these other schools. But I would say the larger thing is if you, uh, you can keep these players safe, but you can't keep them safe and still call them students. And I think that's, that's the problem. If you really do set aside a bubble and say, okay, the campus is online but the players can be here and they can, they, they can all be on this. I think, I think that's the logical thing to do. That would be a logical thing to do. But to do that would have to make a fundamental admission on these universities and these conferences part that athletes are different than other students. And if you do that, just the number of questions that opens and the number of financial questions and the number of, of compensation questions that opens turns it into something that uh, I, I don't think any of these causes are going to be able to, to answer, at least not in one universal way. Well, oh, I think you're overrating that, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I'll take your... I'm wrong about stuff all the time, Warren, <laughs> like constantly. <laughs> but uh, there's no question that, that these players, look, they're different, okay? They're different. Yeah, I mean, I they, they are, are different. different. <laughs> they, are, they, they are totally different. But, like, okay, if, if they're different – we have to start treating them differently in ways that go just beyond playing, playing football in a pandemic. And I think that that's what they're afraid of. And maybe that needle could be thread. Maybe that's the sort of thing that we can figure out in the long term on college football. It does not seem to me something you can figure out in three weeks. And I think that really is what the issue is. I, I think there, there's a needle that could be thread here. I agree with you. I, I don't think it couldn't be done. 
I don't think it can be done in three weeks. And I don't think it can be done in three weeks in the middle of this kind of environment, in the middle of camp of, of these schools that still are barely hanging on anyway with a, like, look what's happening at Syracuse for crying out. Like Syracuse is having the same sort of problem. And North Carolina's had all these problems. Like all of these schools, the minute that the students have got back, their campuses have been plunged into chaos. There's only kind of so much bandwidth anyway that a lot of these schools can handle to figure out, okay, how do we handle the fact now that we've admitted that athletes and, and students are, are, are different and we're going to treat them differently? Three weeks seems like a very tight window to figure that out. Talking to Will Leach, what are your thoughts about college basketball and maybe football in the spring? Yeah, college basketball to me has an advantage that college football doesn't have. And, that the, and of course, you guys, uh, Lauren, no one, you know this as well as anyone, there's there's a more of a sense of universality in college basketball than there is in college football. In college football, uh, all the conferences, the, the big conferences, uh, are constantly fighting with the NCAA, and now they're constantly fighting with each other. And there's no one really in charge. There's no there's no universal notion in this. And um, even the, the college football playoff itself has become this kind of exclusionary thing. Uh, college basketball doesn't have that problem. College basketball has one goal. Get to the tournament. <laughs> get to that tournament. That financial goal, that is. They have one goal to get to that tournament. They also have gone through this before. They've, gone, they've already lost something uh, out of this. And, so, and they can see what football, is go- what football is going through right now. One of the reasons this is happening with football is they basically in like April and May, they're like, yeah, it'll probably be fine by September, right? <laughs> and I don't think college, anyone in college basketball is going to make that mistake. And so there was a very good podcast for those of my listen to it with Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish, who do a CBS uh, college basketball podcast. I recommend it to anyone this week. There's a very smart discussion of how this might work and how a lot of coaches are already getting together and like do one of the things they discussed was not just conference pods, but because it's worth the Pac-12 and the Ivy League have canceled non-conference games. No other league has done that. No other league. And so, some of the schedules are tentative to be sure. But like one of the things they talked about were like, for example, having like three big power schools. Uh, have like a pod of like 11 smaller schools and they all play each other in like one weekend or so on. Like college basketball has a lot of options and more to the point, they seem to be more realistic and have a centralized power structural structure to be able to figure it out. I am, uh, as you could probably tell from my conversation about college football, I am skeptical that, that, that college football can work definitely in the fall and to a lesser extent in the spring. I'm more optimistic about college basketball. It does feel like college basketball is a little bit more limber, a little bit more uh, flexible in a lot of ways, and a little bit more unified than college football is. So, uh, and maybe I'm just saying that because Iowa and Kofi have come back, and I haven't <laughs> talked to you guys since then. So, uh, but so maybe that's leading to my optimism a little bit. But uh, I there's a there's a path for college basketball to happen. College football. You know, I, I think it. I, I think it's tougher, but I think it can happen. It's just a lot of this, and we're even seeing this with the SEC down here. Even if the SEC pulls this off, then it leads to the question: Wait, how much of a year is this anyway? If there are only three leagues playing, like what is a playoff? What does the season look like? And I think if I think you have the same sort of issue with the spring, I think it would very much give. Uh, to, to a way that I don't, I don't think is happening in baseball right now, I think it would very much lead to like an exhibition sort of feel, which is not. This is better than nothing. I think there's value. I think there's value in that, but I don't think anyone would ever feel like, oh wow, that that was the year that uh, uh, I don't think that. Well, there was the spring national championship champion and the fall national champion. I don't know if uh, it would really feel like a, a sort of universal satisfying thing that we kind of want it to. 
Speaking of baseball, the last time we had you on last month in July, you were driving to Cincinnati to uh, cover a baseball game with no fans. I'm curious to hear how that experience went for you. It was uh, unnerving. I will say I prefer, uh, uh, I almost wish I had not gone that first weekend because it's very much, it reminds me very much of like, I once went to go see a game show, a, the live taping of a game show. And when you're there, it's actually quite boring. <laughs> it's not very exciting because uh, you know, all you're doing is what they keep pausing the action and the camera's moving around and the studio's cold and it just feels like weirdly antiseptic. And then you watch it on television, everyone, there's all these lights flashing and it's so exciting and it's so much fun. That's a little bit what it felt like to see a game in person that first weekend that I have not entirely shaken now that I'm back to watching them on television. It is very quiet. It is very quiet, and it is very – I can see how difficult it would be for players to get to, – to really kind of get in the groove on things. So it's not just that there's no fans there. It's that there's no fans, but there's also a lot of extra noise pumped in to make the people at home feel like things are normal. And that leads to a very strange experience when you watch it in person, where it basically feels like there's just a lot of clatter going on, and it, uh, but, but it's surrounded by silence and the occasional crack of a bat. Now, I have to say, watching the games on television or my, I, I'm glad to say this to a radio station, my favorite thing to do is to listen to games on the radio right now. Because, you know, one of the real hard things to do in the middle of this pandemic is to kind of get, feel like things are some, some, somewhat close to what they were before. So, to, to remember what it was like to, to uh, have baseball before all of this happened, to have sports and to have a lot of life before all this happened. Listening to games on the radio to me is the closest the closest part to it, I feel it's really close to, I can listen to a game and feel like, yep, this is, this is Mike Shannon. This is John Rooney. Sometimes I love Mike Shannon. It can be hard because he forgets to tell you what's going on every once in a while, but that's okay because he's Mike Shannon. He's wonderful. But uh, I do think <laughs> there's a lot, I, listening, listening to the games on the radio uh, to me is a closer way to do it. But I feel like the competition has come around. I feel like in the NBA, the competition has been at surprisingly high level. There was a great interview that uh, Zach Lowe of uh, ESPN did with a player. He said, honestly, I'm playing the best of my life. I'm getting so, such good sleep. I leave the game. And I just go back to the hotel and go to bed. I'm so rested. I've never been so refreshed in my life. And I think the games have shown that a little bit. Um, I wrote these for New York Magazine this week basically arguing for all the talks of baseball having all this trouble and the Marlins situation and the Cardinals and, and now I think the Mets are in something. All told, I, I have to say, if you look at the test of – if you look at like the percentage of positive tests that baseball players are having compared to, say, the rest of the population, baseball is doing great. <laughs> baseball has had an unbelievably low number of tests considering they're not in a bubble. They're traveling around the country. They're staying in hotels. They're going back to their homes. To, to actually have as low number of positive tests as they have is actually a little bit more impressive than I thought they were going to be and certainly better than the country as a lot, at large. So it's certainly a different experience to have baseball going on. I still uh, – it's good to – I realized last night that I could still get mad at a Cardinals reliever. That's good to know. That's not something I've lost in a pandemic. I can still get fired up and angry about a game, which is good. So uh, I think uh, all told, I wouldn't recommend if you feel like you're watching a game on television, be like, oh, I wish I could be there. It's not it's not the same. It's not the same. I think that right now, the remove of television and radio, I think it has actually a lot of benefits to the actual experience of being there. It's almost like spring training to me watching these games. I know I know the games count. I know that they they matter. And yet, uh, Particularly in being uh, following the Cardinals, they're so far behind in the games. It just, you know, and, and the games seem so sterile, and they're pitching somebody new every inning. It's just, 
So I, it's not. It, it is, I thought when baseball started, I'd really have something that would uh, attract me, and I don't know. I I I just I can't get caught up in it for some reason. I don't know what it is. Yeah, the the Cardinals the Cardinals situation is particularly hard. I mean, I I mean I write about baseball professionally. I follow the Cardinals obsessively. And there are like four or five dudes. Like, I have no idea who this person pitching is right now. And I follow this team very closely. Of course, that's what happens when a third of your team uh, gets the coronavirus and you have to figure out a way to keep going forward. I do think um, that once it gets back into more of a rhythm, like I feel like the Cardinals season has been so kind of start and stop. I would say, though, and maybe this is just because they're winning, a lot of my Cubs fan friends actually have kind of gotten into this a little bit. And I think that, and I think a part of that too, one of the advantages I wrote about this for MLB, one of the advantages the Cubs have this year is they actually don't have a huge, massive amount of uh, turnover. In fact, really, you know, they're the one team that has not had any positive COVID tests. They are the team that has all, like basically it feels like a last run for that team of 15 and 16 for those veterans to be able to do it. And I think you can tell, and it makes the games feel a little bit more, Normal, I would say, is that there's a familiarity to it. Whereas, what you're right, watching those Cardinals games, I, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know this guy. Like, I don't know who this person is, but I know he just gave up four home runs in a row. So maybe he's not ready for the majors. Maybe he's he's not ready to be there. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on. But I do think once things even out, like Yadier Molina is back, Paul DeYoung should be back, Carlos Martinez should be back. A lot of the familiar Cardinals should be should be back. I think that will help with the lack of a spring training feel. But certainly when you see someone wearing number 92 on the mound, <laughs> it can certainly make it feel like spring training, no question. I got one more question that's really off the cuff here. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt doesn't seem to me like it belongs in the SEC, but it is. Is Vanderbilt going to play football this year? Yeah, I know that's the question. Vanderbilt already – Vanderbilt's always been uh, – the SEC's always gotten a lot of benefit from Vanderbilt because obviously it's generally not very good sports. They're great at baseball, by the way. It's a terrific baseball school. Uh, but football and basketball, they've always been really bad. But they're by far and away the best academic institution in the SEC. And so, therefore, they've been able to kind of, like, enjoy that. Um, that like, imagine how Northwestern would be considered if every school in the Big Ten were Auburn. <laughs> that would be – like, uh, the Big Ten has a bunch of really good academic schools, so Northwestern's just another one of them. But the SEC, perhaps, perhaps less so. So, you know, I think that uh, they, they've always felt like a little bit of an awkward fit anyway. What's interesting, what I find curious about the SEC is more than anyone else, remember when the Cardinals outbreak was really bad and there was a brief moment where you thought, are they just going to drop the Cardinals from the schedule? Well, they just dropped them from the schedule, and yeah. they didn't, and, I think I'm, and I'm glad they didn't. I, I, I would not put it beyond the SEC to be like, yeah, you know what, Vanderbilt, uh, we're gonna you're gonna sit, you're gonna sit the tear out. <laughs> if you don't want to play, we will play. This has been a joke in the SEC, uh, really down here since all, since the whole pandemic started. If they had to suit up a bunch of philosophy grad students in pads and send them out there, there will be some college football <laughs> down here. They have been absolutely insistent about. It. I mean, it is very telling when uh, when the primary way that governors down here try to get people to all collectively wear masks. They tell them you won't get college football if you don't. And it seemed to have worked <laughs> a little bit. So, you know, I think that it is a very, it is very powerful thing, but it's not, I went to a game at Vanderbilt last year and it is very, it's very much unlike any other SEC school and fan base, not dissimilar to Northwestern, to be honest. Like it, you definitely feel like there's a, there's a lot of big time programs in this conference 
and this isn't one of them. So if, if there were a school that would be more likely to say, you know what, we're not going to do this, and if there were a school that the SEC would be like, that's okay, we can go without you, I feel like it would probably be Vanderbilt. Will Leach, everybody, we appreciate your time. Good to catch up with you, and uh, we look forward to doing it again uh, in the weeks ahead. Thanks, Will. I was very nervous disagreeing with Lauren. I don't want to do that. I don't don't like disagreeing with Lauren. Uh, Take care, guys. Thanks. We'll see you. Appreciate your time, Will Leach. Let's go back to the phones real quick. And Richard is on with us. Go ahead, Richard. Good morning, Steve, and good morning, Lauren. Lauren, I I have heard you uh, talk sports for years with uh, a great level of enthusiasm and your spirits are just so down. And <laughs> you know, that, I don't know if that's really true. I'm just, I mean, I, I'm not thrilled with the Cardinals, but I'm, I'm really not down. I'm, my, it's surprising when I say this, but my life hasn't changed much. I mean, my life is about what it was before, and I'm playing golf when I feel like it, and I'm doing what I want to do. And doing I got, a couple of radio got shows got four a week kids and... in town, and I visit them all. And, and we, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm down. I just, I'm... But I'm discouraged by the Cardinals. Yes. Well, I uh, the comment I told the screener was basically this. You know, I, I heard this week that a football player is more likely to die in, in uh, from an injury in football, either practice or a game. And all of a sudden, it, a light went off. No wonder these uh, presidents and other administrators are saying, "No, we can't play football because it's as dangerous." Even more so than the COVID. So, of course, shut down football for uh, 10 years, maybe. Well, I, I, don't, I think the reason that he shut it down, and from what I can find out, was, was the heavy emphasis on the myocarditis thing and the unwilling and the, uh, the difficulty of tracing, particularly after the students get back. I think those are the reasons. I, I think that it's understandable why they feel that way because they're administrators, they're scholars, they're people that are interested in, in school more than football, and they don't see the where, you know, they, they've, got, they've got to realize that they're just destroying the lives of thousands of people. But, I mean, it's yeah. really true. I mean, I, I, I just saw where, uh, you know, the, the number of people that were just let go at uh, Nebraska, 51 people. We're going to see this everywhere. Yeah. We're going to see that well, before right. this is done, in the next few weeks, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of people let out of work, and that is really tough. That is really tough. And probably the next thing that's going to hit uh, campuses is, uh, oh, we, we've got an acne uh, problem, and uh, we're going to have to shut down uh, again. Um, I don't know if that'll <laughs> do it, but I, I think they had they, they just saw a risk that they weren't willing to take, and and I think the people in the SEC are seeing a risk that they're willing to take. I think that's the difference. Sure, sure. And listen, I, I envy you too. I, due to a stroke three and a half years ago, I, in fact, I want to sell my Arnold Palmer signature uh, golf bag because I know I'm not going to get out on the on well, the course Well, I, I put mine out on the street yeah. the other day and put a big for sale sign. And nobody took them. Should have said free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I Please meant to, take. I meant to say free. <laughs> as dull as it is. <laughs> okay. Thanks, thanks for calling. Bye. Appreciate the call, Richard. 356-9397 is the phone number. Have you thought at all lately about replacing your windows or doors? Maybe uh, two or three weeks ago, maybe you had some hail damage. Well, how about a trip to the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign? 
That's where you'll find Mike Mary and his staff. They've been assisting homeowners and businesses in this area for going on 50 years. They do things right. Matter of fact, that we had a Pella representative out in our condo association this week looking at some damage. So they are uh, taking um, those kind of calls as well. There are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows and doors. You know that, security, comfort, convenience. Well, the Pella Window Store has many examples on the showroom floor in several styles and price ranges. Sliding windows, specialty windows, all kinds of windows there, and doors for your patio as well. You'll find them at the Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive. They're open on Monday through Friday from 8 to 5, back to their regular hours, Saturday by appointment. When you stop by there, say hi to Mike Mary, Quentin Troy, Pete Peters, Dave Rollins, Luke Mary. If you're in Danville, Troy Bowman runs the operation over there. Or check them out. Check out the products online at PellaOfChampagne.com. 1028 WDWS Champaign-Urbana on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break and back with more after this. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with Scott Ritchie, who has one word to save college hoops. Bubbles. Moving up on 1031, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, Lauren Tate, with yours truly, Steve Kelly, with you until 11. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Lively discussion on uh, Big Ten football, Major League Baseball, all kinds of other things that are going on or not going on, depending on your your point of view. Going to continue down that line with a gentleman named Mark Moss. He is the parent of an Iowa football player, and he joins us from uh, the uh, great state of Iowa. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you guys for having me on this morning. We kind of wanted to get a parent's view of of the way things are going right now with uh you know, Iowa's situation is is kind of unique in the fact that, if I understand things correctly, that uh, high school football is going to be played. Iowa State is planning on playing football, but the University of Iowa is not at this point. Uh, your thoughts on on that whole situation, especially from a parental point of view? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting. Uh, um, I guess dilemma that uh, the state of Iowa is in that, um, you know, we were the first state in the United States to attempt to bring back uh, uh, high school athletics. And um, we had a successful um, softball and baseball season where um, I believe about 95, 96% of the teams that started the season after a delay and it was an abbreviated season, were able to finish the season um, with the proper protocols in place. And, and uh, um, of course, with Iowa State um, being just two hours away from Iowa City and the University of Iowa, um, they are uh, attempting to uh, have football as well. And, and it's, it's interesting from, from an Iowa football parent's perspective that um, the Big 12 and the SEC in the last couple of weeks have announced all of the protocols that they have in place or going to put in place, and those are the exact same protocols um, that the University of Iowa and many of the Big Ten institutions across the, the Big Ten had in place. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. You know, in the in the state of Ohio, you've got uh, high school football being played. Uh, you'll have two NFL teams playing on Sundays, uh, but no Ohio State, and I believe Cincinnati and and one other uh, school. A university there in in um, Ohio will be playing. 
same situation I saw yesterday that that uh, the state of Pennsylvania um, went against the governor's wishes and and they're going to play high school football. Um, And so you'll have high school football. I believe Pitt will be playing, um, but Penn State won't be playing. So it's just it's just uh, it's it's interesting. It's frustrating. um, But, uh, you know, the frustration, I think, from from a lot of Big Ten uh, parents would be um, would be lessened if if we if we didn't have to fill in the blanks with the missing uh, information from the Big Ten and and um, you know Commissioner Warren, you know we've never it's never been about dragging his name through the mud. Um, it's really been about uh, trying to find answers to to some questions so that uh, um, we can say, oh okay, we understand why why you did this, and it was never about minimizing the um, you know the the um, the COVID nineteen pandemic or not taking it seriously. It was really just. We, we really just want some answers to some questions so that we can understand why the decision was made and and his you know both both of his press releases in the form of letters um, his first one uh, and then the the subsequent interview on the Big Ten network uh, didn't didn't give much information and, and that interview on the Big Ten network he, you know he really couldn't even answer questions in, in much detail and uh, and then his second press release um, you know a few days ago, uh, I guess on Wednesday afternoon, um, really didn't give much insight. Again, it just kind of listed um, things in the same tone as they were before. So yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting um, to say the least. So, well, Marcus is Lauren. Uh, your son is uh, Riley, I believe. He's a cornerback, a junior on the uh, Iowa football team. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, Lauren. And how how do the play, are the players pretty unanimous in their desire to play? As far as you can tell. Yeah, um, you know, Coach Ferentz addressed that uh, with the media. I think at some point a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, I think you know in his statement he said, you know, the majority or close to all of the all of the, the um, student athletes want to play football. Um, you know, there might have there might have been a, a couple of student athletes that you know, at the end of the day, decided to, to opt out. But I have not heard of anyone, um, any student athlete, wanting to opt, opt out at this point. And uh, you were unable to attend, I believe, yesterday uh, in Rosemont. Uh, do you, are you aware of some of the other people that did? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, actually, my wife uh, attended uh, her and um, some other parents from, uh, um, from Iowa um, made the made the the trip over to uh rosemont and and um i think uh i think all total between um iowa ohio state uh, i think there were there were a couple of illinois fans there and, and a couple of uh um potentially wisconsin fans there i think my wife said um you know there were about about 30 parents that that showed up and and um you know really just uh um we weren't expecting um kevin warren to come magically walking out of the building or send a representative out there. Um, it was really more just, you know, to, to show the Big Ten and Commissioner Warren and the university presence across the, the Big Ten that, uh, you know, we really we really just want information at this point. Um, and that's, you know, that's what it's that's what it's been all about. And and as Iowa parents, when this whole process started a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we uh, identified our two goals and our two goals were we have questions and we'd like answers to those questions and trans- transparency and also to reconsider the fall season. Um, 
you know, they've, they've made their decision on the fall season. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're not obviously, you know, we, we're not supportive of that decision, uh, for lots of reasons. Um, but the, uh, um, and there's still, we still haven't gotten answers to our questions. So well, do you think that maybe Warren, uh, is just feels like his job is to protect the presidents and, and chancellors in terms of their votes and their reasoning. I mean, maybe he's just taking the brunt of this because he didn't have a vote, although he may have had an influence, but he didn't have a vote there. And so, uh, do you think do you think it's his? Uh, do you think he should announce how the the individual schools voted? Yeah, we, we you know that's one of the things that we would like to know. Um, you know, we feel we feel pretty confident. Um, that uh, uh, the president, President Harold at the University of Iowa, uh, along with uh, athletic director Gary Barter, were very supportive of uh, attempting to have a fall football season. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we would like to know, you know, who voted up or down on this, um, just to give, just to give, you know, some perspective. Um, you know, originally it was reported that it was 12-2 uh, to not have a season, then we heard 8-6, and and then it was interesting because. Um, you know, there was a, a college uh, a president that came out, and I can't recall the, the uh, university at this point, but came out and said, well, there really wasn't a vote. It was more kind of a conversation, and we kind of came to some consensus on not having a season. Um, you know, and, and, and we understand, I mean, we as parents, we understand, you know, that, that Kevin Warren is – is the the face of the Big Ten and and really um, you know works for the 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 university presidents and so you know we understand that 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 you know Kevin Warren um, is is the messenger all in all of this but he also has a voice in this and you know I'm a longtime Iowa fan longtime Big Big Ten fan and and, and I don't believe Delaney would you know Commissioner Delaney would have ever gotten let it get to this point. Um, you know, he, he may have come to the same conclusion, um, but the message would have, would have been clear and concise. Um, he would have, he would have really worked closely with the university presidents, uh, to make sure that, you know, when they did leave the room that collectively the, the, the 14, uh, presidents along with, uh, with the commissioner would have had a common message, um, yeah, and no, I think just, Delaney would probably have worked closely with the other commissioners too. I think he'd have found uh, 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 he's had a strong relationship with every. I I, I think that to, for all of them to operate separately uh, just doesn't have a good ring to it in the final analysis. No, it, it really doesn't. And you know, and we spent you know we when when we first started on our very first Zoom call as parents, you know, we talked about the the NCAA, but we, we knew and realized early on in this process that the NCAA had washed their hands of this. You know, there's, there's really, um, there's really nobody in the NCAA that's, that, that, you know, quote unquote over football. Um, and they made it very clear that they were kicking this to the individual conferences and they were kicking this down to the individual, um, universities to try to get this thing figured out. Um, and you know, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's they're afraid of liability or 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 exactly why they've decided to to behave in that manner. But you're absolutely right, and and um, you know, with uh, with not having you know really one person over the at least the Power Five schools to trying to get them to work together and say, okay, how can how can we make this work? 
or at least attempt to make this work? Or if we can't, what's the message going to be and the information that people are going to need in order for them to say, oh, okay, I get this. I understand this. And, and um, because the, you know, you, I don't know how closely you follow Iowa athletics, but, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, Gary Barter, the activities director, the athletic director at uh, the University of Iowa, had, you know, the decision yesterday was to cut four programs. Um, and yeah. that's just the, that's just the, that's just the first round of cuts. And, and, yeah. and, uh, you, know, you know, and as Iowa football parents, you know, we tried to impress upon people across the big 10. This isn't just a football thing. You know, I, I, I've used the, the statement that, that, um, you know, that uh, big 10 football at each institution is, isn't just the tail that wags the dog. It's the dog. It's, it's the one that pays for everything else and if it go if it went away this year, there were going to be uh, wide implications, not just for this year, but for years to come. Um, you know, Iowa Iowa has a a, a swim swim program that's 103 years old. It got cut yesterday. Who knows if that will ever come back? Hey, Mark, we appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, giving us the uh, parents' perspective on this. That's Mark Moss from Iowa. Thanks again. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you uh, giving us a chance to get our message out and and, uh, take care and uh, have a great rest of the day. You do the same. 10.43 is the time. Steve in Princeton's been hanging on. Steve, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, I've been listening and trying to be objective and everything. And I remember last Saturday you mentioned Ed Bond's statement of the states that are playing football are red and those that aren't are blue. And then you say Pennsylvania high school is going to play high school football, but yet they got a Democrat governor. Uh, I watched convention. You got Michigan uh, governor speaking. You got a senator from Wisconsin. And in the barbershop this morning, I just want to know if you'd ever heard this statement. But the governor of Michigan said that Michigan and Michigan State would not play football. And I just wondered if you'd ever heard her make a statement or if it came out public. But she told them the Big Ten will not, Michigan and Michigan State will not participate in Big Ten football this year. Yeah, I have not heard uh, what the governor said. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I, I heard that. Did I, you? I think she's on record as saying that uh, okay. she's against that for sure, yes. So, regardless, they're using football in the politics, and I just hate that part of it, you know. Wherever they can sway a few votes, they say every vote counts, so. If we can get the football fans to go one way and and so forth, I I just don't like that. All right, Steve, appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to call. 1044, need to take a break. We'll do that. Be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Moving up on 1050, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. you got about 10 minutes or so if you want to jump in here. 356-9397 is the phone number. A lot of conversation this morning about... A lot of things that people are talking about in the barbershop, on the street, and everywhere else. Lauren's over there checking his Well, uh, one note, everybody numbers. wants to know who the chancellor was when uh, the chief was uh, banned, and that was Nancy Cantor. She was a, chief, she was a uh, chancellor at that time. Um, Ed Bond's been working his tail off on this electoral thing. And here, based on the 2012 electoral map, according to Ed, the Big Ten and Pac-12, 12 who have given up football for the fall the score is 20 to 6 blue okay in other words liberal democratic states 
Add the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, and the score is 29 to 9 red, which is conservative. So you can form your own conclusions from that. <laughs> is it political? Well, I think there's some political in everything, isn't there? I would say probably so. <laughs> and that's all my uh, red-hot information. That's I've all got. your research. <laughs> that's my research, yeah. A couple of football notes. Um, some news this week for the Senior Bowl, if they have that. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Uh, what are the chances of that? Yeah, there's five Illini on the uh, so-called watch list for that of the 250 people mentioned on that. Uh, Brandon Peters, Josh Amaterbebe. Milo Eifler, Nate Hobbs, and Doug Kramer. And the Illinois football parents did get together and come up with a letter that yes, they, they, did. they sent around, as, as several schools have done, but don't know how, how it's been responded to or if it's been responded to. Well, this is just one of, one of those cases where if you allowed the populace to vote, we know how it would turn out, but uh, this is not something that the populace gets to vote on. Yeah, this true. is an electoral college of 14 people. <laughs> and a lot of people, including Will Leach, who is in SEC country, doesn't believe that the well, SEC is likely to at least get a season in and maybe, maybe even this next start. These next two weeks are going to be brutal because you're going to have so many people back on campus. And when you have throngs of people and they tend to get together, whether you like it or not, particularly in the South, that, uh, you know, there's going to be more, there's going to be a lot more positive tests. By the way. Yes. Howie Judson. Yeah. Died this week. Oh, man. Oh, boy. He was the original Judson, you know. He was a great pitcher for the Illini. Played on the basketball team. He was a two-sport athlete. Big star. Baseball pitcher. He, he pitched for the White Sox. He did. Pitched for two or three other major league He's teams. He's the brother of the Twins. Right. Yeah, and, and both of whom, uh, you know, Phil and Paul are still alive. And we talked to Phil not long ago, and I talked to Paul on the phone about two months ago, would you say? Two or three months ago? Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you, when, was it when Hooper died? Maybe. I'm not sure, but when Max Hooper died, maybe that's when I called him. I'm not sure. How he was 10 years older than the twins. Yeah. So he yeah. was 95. And, of course, and then along came Rob Judson. He's the son of Phil. Right. But, yeah, Howie Judson was a horse. He could, he could, he could throw. Some other uh, Illinois basketball news. Yeah, by the way, he'd, he'd pitch nine innings, too. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably pitch more than that if you let him, <laughs> if the game would go further. Illinois ranked 24th nationally in men's basketball home attendance during the last season. That's, yep. that's nice news, a nice stat. Yep. Question, <laughs> question then becomes, when are you going to get to go to a game again? Oh, man. That's, just as a reminder. Well, I heard you were going to pick A.J. Foyt in the, in the race tomorrow. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, he's not racing anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Marco Andretti is, and I guess that uh, that's a continuation of the family. He's the... First time in a long time, Andretti's got the pole. And are you going to watch that tomorrow, Sunday? Don't know. Probably not. I'll watch some of it. I always watch it. Do I you? Just, yeah. I, I, something I just got in the habit. I used to go to, uh, you know, and when I was in Chicago, they would have a have it on a, a theater up there. And I, I enjoyed the th watching it in a theater more than I did when I was actually, I've only been to two of the races, but. Oh, you have been? To, I was going to ask you if you'd ever been to Oh, one. it's been a lot of years since I was there. But, yeah, I went twice. And one, one year got rained out. But um, that's a long time ago. I've never been. But, you know, going to the theater, you get all those different cameras that you get at home now. But you get, you know, if something happens way over on the other side. You, If you're sitting there at the race, you may not see it. But, and, but I'm sure that they have 
television screens and things like that so people can see all parts of it at the race now. But no fans. No fans this year. They went from saying they're going to do a full house to a half a house to nothing to, to maybe 20,000 to, to nothing. And finally told Mike Cooney he couldn't come. He had a streak of games. 28 28 years. in a row. 28 years in a row that he's been going there. And uh, I'm sure there are longer streaks of, of folks yeah. that have been attending the Indianapolis 500. Oh, yeah. The Masters announced uh, this week, too, that no fans will be at the Masters tournament yeah. coming up in November. In the U.S. <laughs> which Open. doesn't sound right. The U.S. Open's next month. Yeah. Are they going to have any? They won't have any fans there, will they? Nope. It is 10.55. Need to take one final break. We'll do that and be back with some final words in just a moment. Stay with us. Got about two and a half minutes before 11 o'clock here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly. Glad you were able to join us this morning. Saw a note that uh, the governor of the state of New Mexico has written a letter to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame suggesting, I guess suggesting might be a fair word, for the inclusion, the induction of Lou Henson to that particular Hall of Fame. He's in about six or eight other Hall of Fames, but that's the big one in college basketball. I hope that, hope that gets done, as do a lot of folks around here. Yeah, she, uh, she's really a strong Henson supporter, and uh, I know she's uh, said some really nice things about him and, and uh, for integration, uh, particularly of, of, of players at uh, Hardin-Simmons. And, and the, of course, the, the fact that he won three high school state championships in Las Cruces, you know, it got him started right off, and everybody knew him from the very beginning. Right. So they followed him all these years. And he, he would go back there after he retired he would go back. He would spend half of the season, half the year here, and half the year there. By the way, Channel Three ran their piece yeah. last week on that. You look pretty good on TV. Well, I, I didn't think I did, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you, oh. you, you, you uh, I think uh, there's a reason why I destroyed all the mirrors in my home. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All things considered, I thought you, <laughs> All things considered. <laughs> I thought you looked pretty good. Yeah. All right, baseball today, the Reds and the Cardinals coming up tonight, the White Sox and the Cubs. Thanks to our guests today on the show, Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, and also uh, a call-in guest that uh, livened up the conversation, David, a surgeon, heart surgeon from Madison, yep. Wisconsin. He's We're, dealing with that myocarditis. No wonder. He, I mean, he's, you know, on the front lines of... Yep. That's the difference. We appreciate that. Also, David Jones, who covers Penn State. Will Leach joined us, as did Iowa football parent Mark Moss. Thanks to all the folks that uh, called in as well. Blake Landa is our producer. Thanks to Blake for his help. Mr. Tate, we'll talk to you again soon, and hopefully we'll be back right here a week from today on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. Have a good weekend, everybody. <laughs>